The information provided on this podcast does not and is not intended to constitute legal advice. Instead, all information, content, and materials available are for general informational purposes only. Welcome to Right Here, Right Now, the podcast about disability, advocacy, and activism. I'm your advocate host, Molly Carter. And I'm your advocate host, Virginia Ferris. Every two weeks, we dig into relevant issues, current events, and avenues for self-advocacy. Because someone has to. And it might as well be us. This podcast is produced by the Disability Law Center of Virginia, the Commonwealth's Protection and Advocacy Agency for Disability Rights. Find out more at dlcv.org. Virginia, I'm just so excited for our guest today. She's one of my um, most or one of the most respected advocates here, but also just one of my favorite people. Rachel and I go way back. Um, how are you feeling today? I am um, super jazzed to learn about pre-employment transition services um, from Rachel. This is one of those areas that I don't do a whole lot of work in. And so I'm, I'm excited to learn new things and to have her open my eyes. My name is Rhonda Thyssen. I'm a senior disability rights advocate at DLCV, and this is a call to action. Have you been abused or neglected by a paid caregiver? The Disability Law Center of Virginia wants to hear your voice. We're collecting stories from individuals with disabilities about their experience with abuse and neglect committed by the people who are paid to care for them. Paid caregivers could be a direct support professional, a doctor, a nurse, a case manager, or other person whose job it is to care for a person with disability. So abuse happens when a caregiver hits you or touches you when you don't want them to. It can also happen when they use rude language, bully or make fun of you, or steal your money or property. Neglect happens when a caregiver ignores your need for food or water, services, care, or the other things you need to be safe and healthy. Neglect also happens if the person who is caring for you ignores you and you're hurt or abused by someone else because your caregiver did not pay attention to your need. DLCV is collecting your story because we believe the state should keep a list of caregivers who have abused or neglected people with disabilities. This is important because knowing if a person has a history of abusing or neglecting somebody might prevent them from doing it again. If you've been abused or neglected by someone paid to care for you, please visit our website at www.dlcv.org slash abuse and tell us your story. This week, we have Rachel Loria, who is one of our experts in pre-employment transition service, services, excuse me, or PETS. And she's going to tell us about what the exciting services are and let us know about the exciting impact project that DLCV is working on this year. So I'm very thrilled um, to have her here. Rachel, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So I wanna start off with like what pre-employment transition services or pre-ETS actually are, because that's usually a good starting point. Um, so pre-ETS are services that are geared towards students who are ages 14 to 21. Uh, they should be available in all high schools. So if you don't know about them, you should contact your 504 team or contact your IEP team to talk about them. The services are meant to help youth who are in high school prepare for a career after school and also ensure 
that there's a smoother transition after high school. So these services are typically provided by one of two agencies, either the Department for the Blind and Vision Impaired, DBVI, or Department for Aging and Rehabilitative Services, DARS. Both of these agencies provide job services for adults as well. So it's important that if you are receiving pre-employment transition services, as you are finishing high school, you also begin talking with them about adult VR services. But that's a completely different podcast. So, Rachel, you already got me sold on Priets. I love the catchy nickname. I love um, the idea of a smooth transition. But can you tell me a little bit more about what these services can include specifically? Sure, I'd be glad to. Yeah, we have to tell people that Priets is not a car. It is So, I'd be glad to. Priets usually consists of five different key services, and that can include um, job exploration counseling, work-based learning experiences, counseling on training and other educational options, workplace readiness training, and also an introduction and instruction in self-advocacy. So do you want me to go into depth about what what each of these services are? Please. Sure. Um, So let's start with the first type of services and then we'll kind of move down the list. So job exploration counseling. Sometimes in high school, and uh, let's be honest, sometimes even as an adult, we're unsure what we wanna do for a career. So with job exploration services, students can sit down with a counselor and they can start looking at what their strengths are and what careers are interesting to them. This is usually done in a survey, can also be done if reading level is, uh, if reading is a struggle, can also be done with pictures. Uh, We did learn that. So students can sit down with the counselor and start looking at what their strengths are, what their interests are, and what types of careers are interesting to them. The counselor can also sit down with the individual and look at what job markets look like for specific careers, uh, where that student is going to be. And that's also really good so that they can get a better picture of what the job is and what A may be, what the job market looks like. So the second one is work-based learning experiences. We don't know what a job really is like until we can experience that job in person. Um, so work-based learning experiences can include going to specific workplaces and seeing what day-to-day, the day-to-day job looks like in those environments. This can also include watching videos of people working in specific jobs. Students can get an idea of what the job looks like and what day-to-day life in that job looks like. So the third one is counseling and training and educational options. Every time I start talking about this with high school students, every time we start talking about continuing education after high school, I get this glorious groan. (laughs) So it's important to understand that education after high school is not for everyone, but if you are a student that is interested in education after high school, 
the counselor can talk with you about what your options are. This could be a two-year school. This could be a four-year school. This could be a vocational school to learn trade uh, and specific skills. So the pre-ex counselor can talk with you as the student and also with the family uh, to determine what options look like. As a side note here, I do, they can talk with the family and it's important for them to communicate with the family, but it's also really important that as a youth, these high school students start taking ownership of these services because it's for them, it's about them. And it's important that they start being really active in this planning. So the next one is uh, workplace readiness training. Yes, this is different from work-based learning. Uh, workplace readiness training can include skills that are necessary for the workplace. And that can include social skills, that can include interview preparation, that can include resume development, that can include teaching about time management, because you know we need that in the workplace. And that can also include other crucial work skills. Uh, we sometimes refer to this as the soft skills that are necessary for the workplace. So the last one is instruction and self-advocacy. Um, as an adult with a disability, I can tell you that the self-advocacy is really crucial. Um, counselors can work with youth to teach them about how to advocate for their needs. Uh, this can include advocating for their needs if they continue education, if they're in the workplace, or also if they're in the community. Rachel, thank you so much for outlining um, each of those for us. I did have um, a quick question because you said that both um, the families and the students can be involved. Mm -hmm. um, and I would, I would gather, you know, with all these services, it's hard to know or hard for students and their families to know, you know, which one might, might be right for them or like where even to start in this process. Right. So can you give us just a little um, example or insight into what your conversation looks like when you um, you know, when you are working with students and their families, like how do you kind of persuade or not persuade, but encourage these students to get involved in this process? Because it does sound, I mean, as wonderful as it sounds, it's also, you know, a big change for them. So what does that right. those conversations look like? Absolutely. Well, I try to encourage students that these services are about them. So these services really can't occur without their input or their, uh, knowledge. Um, I have a specific PowerPoint and that's kind of a rubric that I have my, my clients fill out that talks about what their interests are and what their careers are or what careers they're interested in. It also talks about like different things like if they're interested in school after high school, if they're um, interested in learning independent living skills, what kinds of skills are necessary for them to learn. And this PowerPoint, this template kind of allows the students to provide their insight. And when they have that, then when we meet with the VR count, when we meet with the VR agency, either DARS or DBBI, we can show the counselor that PowerPoint and the student can really lead the meeting talking about what their interests are and what their 
goals are. So, it, I mean, clearly pre-eds is a ton of services. It really um, is. Under, yeah. So, I mean, as with all of these, it comes down to the money. It comes down to the funding. Who pays for these services? Is it free to the students? It is free to the students, and it's often free to the schools as well. Um, that's a great question. Because of WIOA, uh, the Workforce Innovations and Opportunities Act, we know that 15% of the federal funds that are allocated to DARS and DBVI have to be spent on pre-employment transition services, which is really, really key. Um, we've worked in several districts where they've told us that they can't afford to provide these services to their students, and we've responded with, well, that's great, because the, the schools does not, schools do not be able to afford it. DARS and DBGI are the agencies that pay for these services. So it really is no cost to the family, um, and that's really important for families to understand. There are also, um, some schools are talking with us about how there's a wait list for services and that's really important to understand in the disability world that there can be a wait list for services but for pre-employment transition services there is no wait list once they fill out that application they should be getting services as long as they are eligible to receive services yeah. um, we've heard that quite a few times actually that people are having uh, issues with the wait list and the wait list itself does not exist. So if you're being told that there is a wait list, definitely let us know that. That's really important. Thank you for clarifying. Um, just another thing to clarify, um, Rachel, is it DARS or is it DBBI that's um, providing these services or is it both organizations? And also just to um, go back, you said uh, VR training. Can you clarify what VR means for our listeners? Sure. VR is vocational rehabilitation. It is services that adults usually receive to help them prepare for a job and also help them if they're having issues getting, keeping, or being promoted in a job. Um, so DARS and DBDI are both um, the agencies that should be providing services. If a person has a visual impairment, then DBVI should be the agency that's covering those services. If they have any other disability, then DARS should be the agency that's covering those services. They should be paying for the services. However, sometimes they will contract through another company or another agency and pay them to go into the school and to provide those services in the school. But no. the money is coming from DARS or DBVI. Now, Rachel, I'm going to need you to slam those brakes on for just a moment because you said come into the school or go into the school. And right now, we are not doing that in, in the year of our Lord 2020. Um, yes. How has COVID different. changed? Let's back that a second. So COVID has definitely made its presence known. Um, it's definitely poked its head into situations. Um, these services can be occurring virtually, 
And not only can they, they should be exploring virtually. <laughs> so if your student or your child was receiving these services in the high school before COVID, and somehow now they are not receiving those services, contact our contact CPCI, contact school, contact us, because they, they should be receiving the services virtually if they are not. Okay, so thank you for clarifying all that, Rachel, because I know, you know, in these changing times, it can be hard for people to know um, what services are still available or how they're going to get in contact with people. And I think now more than ever, we're realizing how important services like this are. Mm -hmm. um, Absolutely. Yes. And they so, can be done virtually. It's been successful having them done virtually. Yes. I mean, I think we've really seen um, technology help with that, that you can, you know, still sit down with somebody face to face. So Rachel, can you tell us about the impact project that DLCV is working on this year? Sure. A few years ago, DLCV had some staff working at the Department of Juvenile Justice, DJJ, and we realized a lot of youth were asking about pre-employment transition services, PREAP because they wanted job skills and they wanted job preparation. Sometimes in institutions or facility settings, the youth move around quite a bit. And as we know as advocates, sometimes that means that they don't receive the services that they should be getting, which is really, really unfortunate. Um, we succeeded in getting youth at DJJ Priet, and now we're going into several different psychiatric residential treatment facilities, PRTF, for children. And we're ensuring that the youth there are also getting services. Another coworker is looking at some other barriers to discharge, and we are looking at some of the vocational barriers to discharge. So taking um, half a step back, um, mm -hmm. when you guys were at DJJ and maybe even at Fs. Um, did you guys were you guys able to figure out whether uh, the youth there had benefited from pre-at services? Absolutely, the youth at DJJ really did benefit from the services. Some of them realized as they were getting those services, things that needed to change in their school environment, like leadership roles that they needed to take as they were preparing their resumes. So the youth at DJJ absolutely benefited from services and they're continuing to benefit from these services. They're still getting the services. Um, we at DLCV know that youth within facilities are sometimes the ones who need these services the most. So it was really important that we were able to get into DJJ and that the youth there were able to benefit from these services. Okay, so um, do you feel like, Rachel, regarding this project, um, that um, if you want, say, um, some volunteers to get involved, um, what are some ways to do that? Because I know at DLCB, we also have um, great volunteers as well as staff who might want to get involved. So um, can you tell us a little bit more about if that's possible? It's absolutely possible for volunteers to get involved if they're interested in getting involved they can contact our community relations 
specialist. Thank well, you. Rachel, thank you again for um, a little background on, honestly, a service that I didn't even know was available. Um, if folks are, like, I, like we said, interested in volunteering or interested in finding out more, as always, they can visit us online at dlcv.org. Um, and Rachel, just thank you again. Thank you for having me. Yes, Rachel, thank you so much. Um, we really appreciate you taking the time um, to come in and talk to us about all these services today. And I'm, I'm sure, I know I learned a lot today and I'm sure our audience did as well. So thank you again. Thanks for having me. And now for a DLCV highlight. So the so we met the individual uh, at one of the state hospitals during a monitoring visit, and he has been working with us uh, for a while on a variety of state hospital related issues, including uh, a problem that he's had with one with his hospital in which he filed a number of complaints, but the state hospital did not follow up on his complaints in accordance with the human rights regulations. Um, we assisted him in filing a human rights complaint. Um, so the individual felt that he was being treated differently than other uh, residents on his unit at the hospital. Um, filed a human rights complaint. The uh, facility director denied the complaint and the individual appealed to the local human rights committee, which found in his favor. Uh, they, they found that the hospital violated his right to dignity because they treated him differently than they did other people on his unit. Um, it was kind of unusual, in my understanding, in that the, the, the state hospital actually filed the appeal to the state human rights committee because they disagreed with the local human rights committee's uh, finding in the case. And so uh, DLCV uh, assisted the individual to draft his statement that he read himself, um, he represented himself at the State Human Rights Committee meeting with, um, you know, his uh, DLCV advocate was on the phone to provide support, as well as uh, one of the um, Office of Human Rights uh, lead advocates. Um, he, he presented himself, he made his statement, and in a, in a really quick decision, which was sort of unusual, um, the state, the, the state human rights committee had told him that they would get back to him with a decision within 21 days because that's the time frame that they have to, to process these um, uh, opinions. But they actually decided so quickly that we found out less than an hour later that um, he had prevailed. And so the, the state human rights committee uh, voted to um, uphold the local human rights committee's decision that the hospital had violated his right to dignity. And so it was, uh, he was very happy with the outcome, so. And he, had, uh, he, he wanted to express his appreciation to DLCV for all the support that we gave him during that time frame. So thank you one more time to Rachel Loria for teaching us all about pre-employment transition services. Um, I feel like I learned a lot. Oh yes, I know I did too. I mean, I'm very, I'm always aware of the projects that different advocates are doing, but Rachel just has, such an, such an in-depth wealth of knowledge and it's clear um, she's very passionate about it and has been working towards this for a long time. So I'm so glad um, that we had her on to talk with us today.
Yeah, with with it seems like each one of these podcasts we do, I, I learn about something that I didn't even know was a service before. And I just go, they offer that. So a little glimmer of hope in these dark times. Absolutely. And thank you all for listening to this episode of Rights Here, Rights Now, brought to you by the Disability Law Center of Virginia. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. If you need assistance or want more information about DLCV and what we do, visit us online at dlcv.org. You can follow us on Twitter also at DisabilityLawVA and share with your friends. Until next time, I'm Molly Carter. And I'm Virginia Ferris. And this has been Rights Here, Rights Now. Rights Now.